You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 2, Episode 14, The Art of Noise on Performance Art and the Gospel. What some people might find as an undesirable sound, chances are that's something that someone like me has said, oh wait, let's reconsider this. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you guys to a longtime friend of mine and a fellow North Carolina percussionist, Scotty Irving. And Scotty goes under the moniker of Clang Quartet, which is a one-man improvisational percussion performance art show based metaphorically on the life of Jesus. And I wanted to have Scotty on Makers and Mystics because part of my heart in doing these podcasts is to expand our ideas of what is art and to expand our ideas of how faith and art intersect. And performance art is an area that we don't hear a lot spoken about, especially in circles of the church. But when I look back, even into the scriptural writings and the prophets of the Old Testament, performance art is actually an integral part of the life of faith, uh, even in ancient Israel. And, you know, when we think about prophets today, you know, at least in the stereotypical format of thinking about them, we might think more about the wagging finger of this sweaty-browed preacher who's, you know, screaming out judgments from behind the pulpit. Or, you know, maybe that's not our picture, but we certainly don't think of a performance artist or a street performer. But really, that's more of an accurate depiction of what the Old Testament prophets were, is they were street performers, they were artists, they were poets. Uh, In some ways, they were pranksters. (laughs) And they often performed eccentric and even shocking acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they did so as a wake-up call to a culture that had gone so far astray from the ways that God had intended for us to live. And a few examples of that from Scripture would be, you know, Ezekiel, whom God commanded to build a model of the city of Jerusalem and then to lay beside it in a public square for over a year. And even more shocking, he commanded him to cook his food over cow manure as a symbolic act. And then Isaiah was asked by God to walk naked for three years in public, symbolizing the nation's captivity and to be a sign and a wonder. And, you know, I I say these not to legitimize obscenity or shocking behavior just for the sake of gaining attention through art or just making a stir. But I say this because in the same way that these prophets were called upon by God to do some very eccentric and avant-garde acts of, of creativity and art. Sometimes when a nation or a people falls into such complacency, it takes something shocking to get our attention, to wake us back up to the ways that God has called us to live. And for those of us like myself who grew up in the South, 
where you're used to seeing um, in this Bible Belt region, you're, you're used to seeing an overexposure to uh, religion. And sometimes that could cause uh, one to go numb to the power of the gospel. And so my friend Scotty Irving here, the Klan Quartet, he has a performance art show that is so eccentric and yet at the same time so pure and so genuine. There's, there's no better person in the modern day that expresses some of the eccentricities of the Old Testament prophets as he does in his music and in his uh, performance art. So here's an interview with Scotty Irving of the Clan Quartet, and I hope this will inspire you guys to consider new ways that we can express the gospel and what it actually means to be artists of faith. Scotty, thank you so much for joining us on Makers and Mystics. It's an honor to have you on the program. And, you know, as I was preparing the narrative for this episode, I realized that I was going to have quite a challenge framing our discussion because the art you make is not easily described in words. Um, I know primarily your work is a performance art presentation that includes percussion elements, theatrical costumes, and homemade instruments, which you have mostly constructed yourself, correct? Yes. And I know the Klein Quartet involves a good measure of improvisation right. uh, in what you do, but it also has a very pointed depiction of the gospel story uh, in your performances as well, which we'll get into a little bit more later in the show. But... I think a good place to start would be just to tell the listeners a little bit about the background of the Klan Quartet. I know one of the amazing facets about the work you're doing is the length of time that you've devoted to crafting this project. I think you told me earlier that you started the Klan Quartet in 1997? Yes, January of 97. I remember the first show I played because um, it was on a weeknight. And I think there might have been 25, 30 people there. I did it by invitation only because I was so scared to death. Um, I should point out for those of you who are listening to this, um, Clan Quartet is just me. The name implies a band, but the show itself is just me. And this was my first time ever doing this show. And I was, to say the least, scared to death. I'm like, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. What was the first spark of inspiration that led you to do Clang Quartet? Because I know you're a percussionist and a drummer, um, and uh, you've played in so many different styles and genres of bands and um, just have a, a huge, a, a real wide variety of things that you've done. But what, what was that initial spark that said... I'm going to create this electrified crutch, or I'm, I'm going to pick up this ski mask. I'm going to pick up these toys and, and put together all of the interesting uh, things that, that you've created. What was that initial spark? Clan Quartet, in many ways, is a combination of things that I was just never able to work into a band successfully. If you can call it a self-portrait, and I have called it that many times, I think that's probably a good definition for what it is, really. Um I guess it was probably 95 or 96 
when the idea of the Clan Quartet show first came into my head, and I had thought about doing something by myself way, way, way before that. I won't name names, but certain people that I'd played with, that even though I enjoyed playing with them, they would want to do something from a different point of view than me, and I'd just be like, you know, oh, I should do this by myself. I had no idea how to do it. You know, and when I found myself actually putting this together, it felt like I was taking some chains off of me, but at the same time, it felt like I might be putting some new ones on, you know, because I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm finally doing this, but at the same time, what on earth am I doing? You describe your music as you're part of the harsh noise genre. Right. And uh, you're also a performance artist. Right. And I've read that your performance is an abstract depiction of the life and death of Jesus and also an abstract or a narrative of your life before encountering the person of Jesus and then your life after encountering the person of Jesus. That's more or less it right there, really. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about how you interpret that narrative through the noise art that you're making. Okay. Well, the noise part of it, of course, is an essential sound element. There's no question about it. And for those of you who are not familiar with the idea of what harsh noise is, um, if you happen to be a guitar player or someone who uses an amplifier or something like that, what some people might find as an undesirable sound Chances are that's something that someone like me has said, oh, wait, let's reconsider this. You know, sometimes it could be something that it's it's like an endurance test of sorts, and it's not for everybody. But then again, neither is classical, neither is country music. But, um, you know, the as far as the sounds are concerned, it at times can almost be described as sounding more like a weather phenomenon than it does a musical form or something like that. Um, If you can imagine uh, something more like an avalanche or something like that, or even, you know, a heavy wind blowing or even an ocean or something like that. Just imagine an electronic version of something with a sound quality like that. You might have an idea. Combine that with your percussion elements and some of the visual elements. When I try to combine all those three things, um, essentially, when I say abstract, let's face it, I'm not saying anything during the course of the show, but all the masks have different words attached to them. Um, Some of the words are uh, things that have affected me personally, uh, depression. I could sit here all day long and talk about, you know, what uh, that that form of mental illness has uh, had on my life. Um, different things of that nature. Um, as far as sins are concerned, I've got uh, lust, I've got anger, I've got um, unforgiveness. It's not one of the seven deadly sins, but let's think about it. If you hold something in your heart and don't forgive someone, think of what it can do to you as a person. And, you know, it just think of the you know destruction it can cause you as a person. But uh, you know, and one thing I want to stress: this is not a show about the world. This is yeah. Scotty we're talking about. I don't point fingers at everybody else and say, "No, this is what your problems are." No, I don't do that. This is an evaluation. That's why the storyline being the part of me without Christ, then Christ's crucifixion and death, 
and then resurrection, and then my life with Christ. Some of these things that are mentioned on here are things that have happened to me since I have become a Christian. I am not suggesting that those things have been completely removed from my life, but I am suggesting that I am not walking alone with them. Well, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about your performance art and the work that you're creating, especially from a spiritual perspective, is that it expands our understanding of what, quote, glorifies God, so to speak, you know? Yeah. I think all too often as Christian artists, it's easy to assume that we have the corner on the market of what may carry the presence of God. And I remember the first time that I ever saw you perform, it was at the old Somewhere Else Tavern here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. And you were out in the parking lot and you had all of your symbols and your masks and your crutches and everything uh, just set up all around you. And there was a crowd of people in a circle and you were about to start. And I remember right before you know you went for it um you put your hands together in prayer and i remember looking at you at that moment and i had an encounter with the spirit of god it was just in that moment i just felt the tangible presence and then you just began to throw symbols all over the parking lot and went into a, a, a manic tirade of energy you know and i loved it because I'm an experimentalist in my own art, uh, taken in a much different direction in some ways, but at the heart of it. I like the direction you take it in, though. Yeah, you know. I love the direction you take it in. But I loved seeing that because I was like, okay, here is something eternal, touching something completely abstract, something totally out there. And I think so many more artists who identify with the Christian faith need to know that they have that permission to go outside of the box, to, to do, like you said, something super creative, which in, it, in and of itself is, is glorifying. There is no box. That's right. There is no box. <laughs> right. Come on. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My, my good friend and minister, Angie Toth, we, I was, we were joking about that. I said, you know, I said, I've never seen this so-called box we're supposed to be thinking out of. I like Where it. is this box? I like you know? it. I love what you do because you take these familiar symbols, such as the cross, uh, statements about the faith, and you apply them in a completely different context. You you take them out of the traditional place that people see them, and then they you employ them in a performance art that a lot of people that witness what you do, they're not used to seeing those symbols in their context, you know? And, uh, and I think that really speaks to the creative nature even of what you do. I, you know, something... Um, I think of creativity, it's taking something out of context and reapplying it in a different situation and it creates something new, you know? And I know a lot of what you do, if not all, is improvisation. Every every Clang Quartet show, is, is is it all improvisation or? It's about half and half these days. Um, more or less, I've got a roadmap. I know I'm gonna start with a certain instrument and play a certain thing at a certain time. Drum-wise, I don't plan any certain patterns. I try to keep that part open, which sometimes doesn't always work the way I'd like it to. Sometimes it works better, how I wish I could bottle that up sometimes. 
But uh, that part I try to leave open. And you know, sometimes it goes a lot better than uh, you know maybe you would expect it to. But I always want there to be that spark. I don't want it to be so rigid. But even though a lot of it is improvisational, the narrative behind the clan quartet, you present that storyline. That's still the same. Yes. Yeah, that's so. not that's never that's never improvised. So the storyline is kind of the structure that you yes. work in. That's that road I was talking yeah. about. So you've yeah. got the uh, life of Scotty Irving before Jesus. Yes. Uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and then yeah. the life. The second chance. Right. So the Klan Quartet is basically a gospel message set to noise. Exactly. Which is amazing. Right to it. People ask me, said, said, you know, what you do is a traditional. I said, well, the message is traditional. <laughs> Maybe my delivery of the message isn't traditional, but the idea that Jesus can help you through, you know, uh, problems in life and the idea that you have a chance of starting over yeah. because he died and was resurrected. I mean, we've been hearing about that a long time. That part, I'm not, I didn't come up with that. Right. What has been some of your experience that you've had in presenting what you do? back to the church. I know that's probably a mixed bag. True. It's gotten more favorable over the years. Mm -hmm. um, now, years ago, not a very favorable thing at all. Um, had a situation in uh, Asheville where uh, I was playing, uh, supposedly playing a, uh, I say supposedly playing a Christian place. I was actually playing it, but I'm still not sure that place was very Christian. But I had a guy jump up on stage and try to stop me from, actually physically stop me from playing. Um, but nowadays, uh, I won't do a full-on Clan Quartet show necessarily, but I've recreated a, a crucifixion scene twice within a Good Friday service at uh, the sister church and the church charge that I'm involved with. But that's something I would have never thought anybody would want uh, me to do. And my, I mentioned my uh, good friend and pastor, Angie Toth. She's been to see the show before. She came to the Nightlight in Chapel Hill. And she's like, you know, I want to incorporate this in with the, uh, you know, the service and everything. And I said, well, I'd be honored. But I perform, perform a somewhat more subdued version of it there because it's not the Klang Quartet show right, there. Right. And I'm like, this is Good Friday. Well, you know, yeah. I bring that up because a lot of times we tend to be comfortable in what's familiar to us. Right. I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, we all are. Everybody is. There, uh, There's an uh, inclination for that. But particularly in the communities of faith, there can tend to be a very insulated culture. And so I'm, I'd be curious to sneak into one of your church performances and, and see how it's yeah. how it's received. But I, again, I, I, the church, we, we need what you're doing. And I'm just appreciative of you doing this for, for as long as you have. I mean... The fact that you've done this for 20 years, right, or close um, to my it? My mind, it was 20 years this yeah. past January, and I, yeah. I can tell you no one is yeah. more surprised about right. that than me. Yeah. In order to do something for as long as you've done it, you have to have a resilience and a tenacity about what you're doing. You have to believe in what you're doing because, uh, let's be honest, a lot of the more abstract art forms, and even the music that, that I create, uh, People don't know where to categorize it. People don't yeah. know how to put it in one of those uh, non-existent boxes that you mentioned. You know, exactly. and so uh, that's why I think uh, discussing these things with an artist like yourself is important. Because part of my goal, even with 
the Makers and Mystics podcast is to introduce people to things that do challenge them and to artists that that will take them outside of the norm, uh, that will show them, myself included, you know, show us different ways that we can glorify God or show us different ways that art can be full of the spirit and and not just four chords and a scripture but you know a different format and clang quartet does that i'm going to bring up a blast from both of our past here and and <laughs> and just for you guys listening Scotty and I have known each other for a very long time at this point. Our paths have crossed different bands and things, so I wanted to bring him on the show because I really appreciate what he does. But we did collaborate one night. Oh, yes. <laughs> and if you remember, we actually got kicked out that night. Yeah, yeah we sure did. <laughs> you know, that's what you get for hanging around with you me. Know, we, you we, know better than that's this. That's right. Well, we're talking, yeah. we're talking about resilience as an artist. We're talking exactly. about presenting things in a context where people are not used to it. Yeah. Uh, and We're uh, talking about bringing sounds into a place where people are drinking coffee, that's which right. is probably not the best that's way right. to do this. Well, see, at that point in my own journey i was doing more performance art i was yeah. doing a lot of uh poetry spoken word events and just really theatrical presentations and i yeah. so scotty and i uh, do you remember the name i think you actually chose our so name i'm trying to remember what it was um we were called a wretch like me a wretch like me <laughs> yes 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 one of my masks says wretch uh-huh. i forget the name a wretch like me. right so we created this musical cacophony of sorts yeah called A Wretch Like Me, and we decided we were going to uh, do a coffee shop gig with this act. Yeah. And so, Scotty, you brought in all of your stuff, yeah. and I remember I came in, and I don't know if you remember this about me, but I came in dressed in nothing but a burlap sack. Uh-huh. And I, had, I do remember I, that, yes. And I had dirt smeared all over my body. I was very, very happy that you didn't make me do it because I thought, he has to be incredibly uncomfortable. I was yeah. dressed in a burlap sack. I had dirt all over my body, and I had a bucket of water. And a couple of drums and and things yeah. that I was beating on and uh, yeah. and so while you were making all of your abstract noise sounds and all of our instruments put through delay pedals and all this crazy yeah. stuff, I began to wash myself in the middle of the coffee shop. Exactly. <laughs> and I just remember uh, the the owner or the manager or somebody came up to you in the middle of this and basically said your show is over and kicked us out. And so yeah, yeah, yeah you know, so we never we never we didn't even uh, get a chance to get the soap off of it. <laughs> just kidding, there was no soap. <laughs> but you know, there's there's something about it that I want to encourage people to have bravery, to not be discouraged by rejection. Exactly. To have resilience. If if you if you are being genuine to the art that that is in your heart to make, if that means that you throw symbols across the floor and you're dressed in burlap bathing yourself, exactly. Then by all means, do it. You know. Uh, but I always remember that night because it was it was it was a pretty interesting interesting evening for sure. It reminds me. Uh, the artist Banksy was attributed to saying this, but I think somebody said it a lot further back than him, but basically that art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. A few episodes back, I interviewed a wonderful artist uh, named Marie Tayard, and She's a 
concept photographer. She does, you would love her work. She does incredible work. Uh, one of her pictures is called True North, and she's got herself with a gas mask and a compass, and she just does beautiful work. But we discussed the difference between risk value and shock value. Yeah, and uh, and I think with what you're doing, that's that's probably uh, even if it's unconscious, it's it's probably something you know what you do. It's a it's a risk value, and it's not just the shock, but there's there's a risk that you take yeah. um, in presenting what you do. But I think the difference is when you're being true to what's in your heart to do, as opposed to trying to muster up something for attention. Yeah, you know, and sometimes what is the most shocking to people isn't the fact that what you're doing is um, shocking, so to speak, but that you're sincere about it. Right. That's the shocking part. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to be an artist to get that kind of response. Yeah, that's good. Tell me about the Armor of God documentary that was done about you, about your, your faith walk, about your performance art. I watched it, and I thought it was really well done, and it really captured the heart of who I perceive you to be as an artist, as in a person, um, and so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. In uh, 2000, Brett Ingram and his then partner Jim Haverkamp, they were working on a picture at the time called uh, Panic Attack. And at first they just asked me if I'd be interested in providing some sound effects for it. But they just half jokingly one day said, we, we need to do a documentary on you sometime. And I said, yeah, sure. But um, I was, you know, I was interested just to see where they'd take it. Well, we started uh, doing some interviews, and I have to point this out, too. I had never once talked about my conversion to Christianity publicly before that. Mm. Well, they asked me during the interviewing process how I became a Christian, and at first I started to kind of tap dance around it and say something else, but I didn't do it. I just came out and told them the truth. And How did you come to the faith? Well... Uh, this is going to sound far-fetched for some of you, but I'll try to condense this. Came back from a beach trip the day before I was going back to school in 1984. 17 years old, dropped something, rolled under my bed, reached down to get it, and felt something pressing me on my back. I looked behind me to see what it was, and there was nobody there. I tried to uh, remove myself from what I thought was pushing me, and I felt something pushing me more and more until I was lying flat on the floor on my back. I thought I was having a heart attack. And, you know, I was scared to death, and I was so scared I couldn't even say anything. I didn't know what was happening. And I had more or less what you could call a road to Damascus uh, incident I saw a blinding white light, and I heard in a voice as plain as the voice you're hearing on my face now. And let me tell you, when you heard this voice, I didn't even have to ask who it was, but I heard in very, very, very bold words, don't you think you've waited long enough? The light faded, and I sat there and shivered for several minutes, and I didn't tell anybody about that for years and years and years, but I attempted to get my life in Tried to get it in order as best I could. But needless to say, I, you know, I didn't know how to bring that up. How do you tell people about that? You know, even your close friends. And it wasn't until, like I said, that was in 84. It wasn't until 2000 when we were doing that film that I actually said that. And I was about to hesitate then. But I decided to go ahead and say it. 
So we're watching the playback of the film later on after they've edited everything. And I should point out, we did hours and hours of interview footage, and they managed to edit it down to, believe it or not, 12, 13 minutes. But we were watching it, and it gets to that part where they asked that, and I stopped it, and I said, I can't believe you guys are using that. And they were like, we can't believe you thought we weren't. Man, I mean, I made the hair on the back of our neck stand up. I said... I have never revealed this to anybody before that day. Wow. And it's it, took powerful. That, it took that film to bring it out of me. That's you know? good. That's so, good. Anyway, the uh, film came out in October of that year, and um, I got an audience I never even knew I would get. To this day, people still walk up to me and say, hey, the first thing I ever saw on you was Armor of God. I, you know, noise festivals and all kind of things like that. So people are still watching it. Well, it's a wonderful documentary. And I'm going to put a link to it on makersandmystics.com so that everyone can take a look at it and get a better idea of what exactly it is we're discussing when we're talking about your performance art. Um, I realize that for some people, an electrified crutch and these masks that you've made and these decorative items and, and uh, everything that just makes up your performance art is probably a bit foreign to some people. And so if you go to makersandmystics.com, I'll have the video there for you to get a better picture of what Scotty's work is all about. Well, again, I'm a huge supporter of what you're doing, and I'm really thankful for you taking the time to come on the show and talk with us. I appreciate you taking the time to ask me to talk with you. Oh, it's yeah. an honor. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, we'll have the Armor of God documentary at makersandmystics.com where you can go and take a look at some of Scotty's performance art that we're talking about. Uh, so wish you the best and hope that our paths cross. Maybe next time we won't get kicked out of the venue should we collaborate. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we'll be safe from, as long as it's not in a coffee house and as long as it's not, you know, no burlap sacks or anything like that. Or <laughs> I'll, no, I'll bathe before no I come. No dirt, yeah, no dirt. I'll, yeah. I'll bathe before I come. No symbols, et cetera, et cetera. Stephen, it is always a pleasure and God bless you. Thank right. you so much. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. We only have one more episode left before the end of season two, and I'm super excited about the guests that we have coming up in the direction that we'll be going in for season three. And also, we've begun our planning sessions for The Breath and the Clay coming up next March, and you can keep in touch with us about that. So visit us at makersandmystics.com. Or if you'd like to know more about me as a speaker, perhaps invite me to your community and let's have these discussions together. You can visit my website at stephenroach.org. So until the next time.